We're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 19. If you don't have your Bible, get one out of the pew back in front of you. It's on page 330. I want you to follow along with me as we read through the story. Now, my, my family this weekend were, encur- were encouraging me. I don't know if you can call this encouragement, but they were encouraging me to tell a story on myself for a change. And so on Friday uh, afternoon, it's really cold. You know, the, the cold front had hit. Ice was rolling in, all that stuff. So I, so I go outside, and I'm taking care of our animals. Well, we have four chickens in a chicken coop and a chicken run. The chicken run is eight foot long by four foot wide, covered in very, very small wire. Like you can't even stick your finger through the holes of the wire. So I'm out there giving them some water and giving them some food. And to, in order to get their food out for them, I've got to crawl into the chicken run completely. Well, while I'm in there, the door of the chicken run closes and locks. I'm stuck in a four by eight cell, freezing weather, and I'm wondering, what am I going to do? And I just start laughing because I know that if anybody sees me, this is the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen, me and four chickens in the chicken run. And so I'm sitting there thinking to myself, what am I going to do? I'm not calling anyone. I can X that off the list. So I figure I gotta, I'm trying to, I gotta get out of here. There's gotta be a way to get out of here. And so I just keep working, looking around. What's, you know, what do I have to use? Very little. And so I'm, I'm looking around. I finally figure out a way to get out. I take this little stick, stick it through the hole, keep working and working. Finally, Jimmy, that latch and the door comes open and I'm relieved completely. Now, there are some things in life um, that you know that putting every ounce of effort towards it to get to a preferred end is worth the effort. And that you don't want the alternative. And I promise you, I did not want to call Jamie Moore to come get me out of that chicken run. <laughs> I had to figure out a way to get out. All right, let's look, at, let's look at Jehoshaphat. Now, today is part three of our trilogy. If you remember, part one was blessed beyond measure. Jehoshaphat was faithful to the Lord. And in his faithfulness, God brought an incredible blessing into his life. And then we saw part two where Jehoshaphat cries out. The reason he has to cry out is because he left faithfulness behind. He makes an alliance with evil King Ahab, so he steps into sin. And God's going to judge him in his sin. And when he realizes just how much trouble he's in, he cries out. God delivers him. God sends a prophet to confront him in his sin. And uh, Jehoshaphat is called to leave his sin behind and repent. And that leads us right up to part three, which we'll title Repentance and More. And so let's look in chapter 19 and start reading in verse 4. Chapter 19, verse 4. So Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. So Jehoshaphat is confronted in his sin. He understands he needs to leave his sin behind. He leaves it to the point where he's going to go out and help others come back to the Lord just like he did. He experiences the forgiveness of God, the deliverance from God's wrath, and he is walking now back in faithfulness, setting his heart to seek the Lord, and he wants to draw everybody else into that opportunity. He goes out to bring them back as well. It's an incredible statement. Verse 5, he appointed judges in the land and all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city. He needed help. He could not by himself bring everybody back to the Lord. So what he goes out is he goes out and finds some people that he can teach what happened to him who can then teach others what God wants them to do. 
So he goes out and he shares with others what God did in his life and says, you need to tell others what God has done so that they can come back to the Lord. And he commissions them throughout Judah and Jerusalem. Does that sound familiar? I've heard another king have a plan called the Great Commission. It sounds very familiar to Jehoshaphat's plan. Now I want you to notice as we walk through this next section, he tells these guys, these officials that he sets up in the land to do five different things. He really emphasizes five things. So I want you to listen for those as we read through the next section, starting in verse 6. He said to the judges, Consider what you are doing. For you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you when you render judgment. Now then let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be very careful what you do. For the Lord your God will have no part in unrighteousness, our partiality, or the taking of a bribe. In Jerusalem, also Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and the priests and some of the heads of the fathers' households of Israel for the judgment of the Lord and to judge disputes among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Then he charged them, saying, Thus you should do in the fear of the Lord faithfully and wholeheartedly. Whenever any dispute comes to you from your brethren who live in their cities between blood and blood, between law and commandment, statutes and ordinances, you shall warn them so that they may not be guilty before the Lord, and my wrath may not, be, may not come upon you and your brethren. Thus you should do, and you will not be guilty. Behold, Amariah, the chief priest, will be over you in all that pertains to the Lord, and Zebediah, the son of Ishmael, the ruler of the house of Judah, in all that pertains to the king. Also the Levites shall be officers before you. Act resolutely, and the Lord be with the upright. So it goes through five things he's encouraging the people to do. He says, you need to make sure that you remember that what you're doing is for the Lord. You're not doing this for me. You're not doing this for the people. Ultimately, you're doing everything you do for the Lord. The next thing he says he wants them to do is make sure that they fear the Lord above all things. To recognize the Lord's watching everything you do. And he's not going to put up with any unrighteousness. He's not going to put up with being enticed by bribery. You remember what the, the, the description of Jehoshaphat was with King Ahab? King Ahab made all these sacrifices and enticed Jehoshaphat into this alliance. He says God doesn't put up with that. You need to fear the Lord above everything else in your life. Then you need to be wholeheartedly. You need to give yourself completely to this work. Be faithful and wholehearted in the work. And then you need to warn other people so that you will not be guilty along with them. You notice he says, if you don't warn, you're guilty. And then he says, act resolutely. Be unwavering. I love what Jehoshaphat tells the people. If, they're, if these officials are going to honor their king, they need to follow what he says. And he gives them clear direction on how to follow what he wants them to do. I love this because it really resembles what our king, Jesus Christ, has told us what to do in following him. These are great things. You could write these five things down and say, these are the things that I want to make sure that I'm really doing in my life before Christ. And guess what? If you'll do these things before the Lord... You'll be walking with Christ really well. I mean, think about it. If, if what you do in your life every single day, you begin to take recognition that your work and your neighborhood and your family, you're really doing all that you do for the Lord. So make sure that it really looks like you're doing it for Him, which is exactly what the New Testament tells us to do. 
He tells us in our marriages to love our spouses as unto the Lord. He tells us in our workplace to work for our bosses as unto the Lord. Everything we're supposed to be doing in life is to be done for the Lord if we follow Jesus Christ. It's incredible. The next one, fear God above all things. Think about it. You're not supposed to be afraid of what people say, what people think. You're supposed to honor God because what he thinks is more important than what anybody else thinks in the world. You are to fear God in all things. If you want to follow Jesus Christ, just begin to think about it. Am I fearing God in all areas of my life? Then be wholehearted, be faithful. You need to put your whole heart into following Christ. You can't have a divided heart. You can't say, I want to worship Jesus today, but tomorrow I kind of like to leave him out of this area of my life. I like to do some other kinds of worship, some other kinds of allegiances, some other kinds of alliances. He says, no, you need to have a whole heart. Do you hear how Jehoshaphat's own understanding of God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness and restoration is overflowing in what he's telling these people to tell others? Be wholehearted. Don't have a divided heart. And he says, you need to warn others. Doesn't Jesus told us the very same thing? In, in Matthew chapter, chapter 9, the Lord tells us that if we are ashamed of him, that he will be ashamed of us before the Father. And what that's saying is, you need to warn others. You need to tell others about Jesus Christ. Because you want them to be experiencing the same forgiveness you've experienced. And if you'll tell them you are not guilty. But if you don't tell them you are guilty. That's the same thing that Ezekiel tells us. Ezekiel chapter 3 and Ezekiel chapter 33. The principle is throughout scripture. You need to be telling others. Warning others. So that you're not guilty of not warning others. And you have the truth. You need to be people who are telling people about Christ. And the last one. Act resolutely. Be unwavering. Stay with following Christ no matter what. These five things are really what this whole story is about. This this idea of being unwavering in your devotion to Christ. That's what this story is about. Now what I love about this story is that all these incredible changes in Judah. I mean, think about this. All these officials set up and they're encouraging people to do this before the Lord. Can you imagine living in this nation where this massive turn back to the Lord is being encouraged from the top down? Amazing experience. And all of that comes out of Jehoshaphat's failure. Out of his disobedience. And God's deliverance. And Jehoshaphat's repentance. I mean, God is so gracious. That he would use even our disobedience, our forgiveness of sin, and our effort to follow him, to be a blessing to others. That's what he does with Joshua. It's an incredible story of him blessing the nation because the king, even in his disobedience, has turned back to God. Amazing. It doesn't mean that Joshua avoided the consequences of sin, though. God uses it miraculously. It's an amazing story of redemption. But just because God redeems and brings Joshua through this and blesses the people around him does not mean that Joshua escaped the consequences of sin. Sin always leaves a mark on our lives. There's, there's always consequences to our sin. And Joshua does not escape them. Now, before we talk about the consequence of Jehoshaphat's sin in chapter 20, I want to remind you of part 1. In chapter 17, verse 10. Let's look back at chapter 17, verse 10. Part 1, blessed beyond measure. Remember, Jehoshaphat's been faithful. God has blessed him. Now, let's look how he blessed 
Joshua specifically. Verse 10, chapter 17. Now the dread of the Lord was on all the kingdoms of the lands which were around Judah. So they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. So one of the blessings that Joshua was experiencing through his faithfulness to God was the absence of war. Faithfulness, you're at peace. Then Joshua part two is unfaithful. Now, let's look at the consequence of Jehoshaphat's sin. Verse, chapter 20, verse 1. Now it came after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Munites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. There's your consequence. War is coming. Then some, then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram. And behold, they are in Hazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. Now look at Joshua's response to the, to the consequences of his sin. Joshua was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all of Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. In the consequences of his sin, Jehoshaphat turns his heart to trust the Lord even more. Anybody here like the consequences of your sin? Me either. What an encouragement. Right in the middle of the consequences of sin, his response was to turn even more to trust the Lord. And we see his heart turning to the Lord in this prayer that he cries out before the people and before God. Verse 5, Then Joshua stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? Are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? They have lived in it and have built you a sanctuary there for your name, saying, Should evil come upon us, the sword, or judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. Your name is in this house. And we'll cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. Now behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them, did not destroy them. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance? Oh, our God, will you not judge them? We are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. Joshua cries out to the Lord with the people. And he says, we don't know what to do, but we know what you've said. And we know who you are. Do do you know who he's quoting here? He's quoting God's answer to Solomon. When Solomon prayed in the dedication of the temple, he asked that God would hear his people and deliver them from the harm that comes upon them, even if it's in judgment, even if it's the consequences of their own sin. And Jehoshaphat turns to the Lord and says, we are believing in what you have said. 
And you told us that if we turn to you and we cry out, even if it's because of judgment, even if it's because of our sin, that you will hear us and you will deliver us. And so here we are. We don't know how to do this. We don't know how to get it done. We don't know how to make you do anything. But we're believing in what you have said. And we're just going to stand here and keep our eyes on you. Isn't that encouraging? And look what God's answer is. It's incredible. God has an answer for him. Verse 14, Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, the, the Levite, the sons of Asaph. Now, I just want to give a little aside here. This is one of the longest genealogies given. Going back like five generations, why is that? Well, that just takes us all the way back to David's day. See, see in the answer to the, from the Lord, there is a connection that the chronicler is wanting us to make with King David. All of this rests on the promise given to David. There would be a king that sits on his throne forever. So when God gives an answer to his people, it all rests on the promise of a coming king. And he draws this genealogy all back. And so this guy stands up. He's got these connections. And he gives his answer. And he says, verse 15, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not fear and be dismayed because of this great multitude. For The battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. The Levites from the sons of Kohathites and the sons of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. They rose up early in the morning, went out to the wilderness of Tekoa, and when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah. And inhabitants of Jerusalem, put your trust in the Lord your God and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. When he consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire. And they went out before the army and said, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness. His loyal love is everlasting. He's never going to stop loving us. When they began singing and praising, when they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. So they were routed, for the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped destroy one another. Wouldn't you have liked to see that? When Judah came out to, to the lookout of the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and behold, there were corpses lying on the ground and no one had escaped when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil they found so much among them including goods garments valuable things which they took for themselves more than they could carry and they were three days in taking all the spoil because there was so much then on the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Barakah blessing for there they had been blessed by the Lord 
And there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, they have named the place the Valley of Barakal, the Valley of Blessing, until today. Every man, Jude and Jerusalem, returned with Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps, lyres, and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the dread of God was on all the kingdoms of the lands when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace. For God gave him rest on all sides. Jehoshaphat had pressed on through repentance, even in the consequences of his sin, and God restored the blessings of fellowship with God. Peace was restored. Now we see the final words of Jehoshaphat's reign. Verse 31, Now Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was 35 years old. When he became king, he reigned in Jerusalem another 25 years. And his mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhite. And he walked in the ways of his father Asa, did not depart from it, doing right in the sight of the Lord. The high places, however, were not removed. The people had not yet directed their hearts to the God of their fathers. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, first to last, behold, they are written in the annals of Jehu, the son of Hanani, which is recorded in the book of the kings of Israel. Jehoshaphat walked through repentance. Now the people joined with him in crying out to God. The people joined with him in experiencing the victory of God. But the people did not press on all the way to repentance like Jehoshaphat did. They did not completely direct their hearts to God. And they missed so much. Now look at the last, the last statement about Jehoshaphat. This is so interesting. Think about part one, part two, part three. Part one, faithfulness and blessing. Part two, he falls into sin. God delivers him. He repents. Part three, he walks through repentance and is restored in blessing. Look, look at this last phrase. Of Jehoshaphat's life. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel. He acted wickedly in so doing. So he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish. And they made ships in, in Ezi and Geber. And then Eliezer, son of Adonah, who, a uh, hard name, of Mersheth, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. So the ships were broken and could not go to Tarshish. After all of that, Jehoshaphat fell into sin again. But look what God did. God in his mercy destroyed those ships. So the alliance could not bring further destruction. Unless Jehoshaphat refused to listen to the confrontation of the Lord. God confronts Jehoshaphat again through a prophet. And Jehoshaphat has once again an opportunity to set his heart to seek the Lord again. So think about the big picture. Jehoshaphat is walking in the grace of God, enjoying the blessings of God through faithfulness. He falls into sin. God confronts him, delivers him from his sin, and and Jehoshaphat says, I'm going to repent, I'm going to turn away from my sin, I'm going to pursue you. And he walks close with God, even in the circumstances the that are created by the consequences of his sin. He trusts the Lord even more. And he completes his repentance by walking through those consequences, trusting the Lord. And then he experiences the restoration of God's blessings in his life of faithfulness. And then he falls into sin again. And then God steps in and gives him an opportunity to turn his heart back to the Lord again. You know, Jehoshaphat had to realize along the way, that he was not the king who was promised. 
I mean, that was the story of his life. He would sin. God would forgive and restore. He would repent, and then he would sin. And he had to realize, I'm waiting for the answer to that promise. I'm not the guy. And I love the description of his wait because it sounds very familiar to the description of how we are to wait on Jesus. I mean, think about it. If you've decided to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have been forgiven of your sin. You have sinned against God. He has forgiven you of your sin. And now the Spirit of God is pointing out sins in your life that you can leave behind and in its place pursue God, repentance. And the consequences of your sin have created an opportunity for you to trust God even more so that you complete your repentance and then are restored to the blessings of walking with God. And then somewhere along the line, we fail again, don't we? And then in our failure, God steps in once again in His grace and mercy. He says, look, I want you to see your sin, and I want you to see my grace, and I want you to know that I'm inviting you back into repentance. And we just get in this process, and that process is what it means to wait for Jesus. That's our life, in waiting for the King. The process of struggling with sin and repentance. And I just want to give you a few exhortations this morning. Because of the reality that we're all walking in. We're all walking in that same reality. So let me just give you a few exhortations. Number one, don't stop short in the process like Judah did. See, Judah, they cried out with Joshua. They experienced this victory with Joshua. And then they never really fully directed their hearts to the Lord. Don't stop short in the process. Let me give you a couple ideas of what I mean by that. You know when you come here on Sunday mornings and there's a sermon and God just speaks to your heart and He convicts you of some sin. Maybe you haven't been reading your Bible or maybe you haven't been praying. I mean, this is the one that gets everybody. You need to pray more. Okay, we're all convicted, you know? I mean, I mean, we come into this place and we hear God's truth. It's very easy to be convicted by what God says because we all fall short. And we're convicted by God and we see sin in our lives and we ask the Lord to forgive us. His word says he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteous, to cleanse us completely. And I'm telling you, when you sense the forgiveness of God, doesn't it feel really good to know you're forgiven? Yeah, it feels great. You know what we sometimes do? We leave this place and we think because the relief of forgiveness that we're done and I've been forgiven. No, waiting for Christ does not stop with the understanding of forgiveness. God wants to move you all the way through repentance so that you experience the restoration and the breaking of those consequences, seeing those consequences redeemed so the goodness of God is restored in your life. And so many times we are satisfied with forgiveness. So many times we redefine repentance to think that repentance is really just acknowledging my sin before God. No, repentance is changing. It's turning away from the sin that once grabbed your heart and instead pursuing Christ in the place of that sin. And God wants us to press on to repentance. He doesn't want us to stop short in the process. A lot of the times we get into sin and we ask the Lord to forgive us and we have the relief of forgiveness and we kind of start walking through repentance and then the consequences of our sins just come crashing in on us. And all of a sudden my life is much harder than it was before I confessed my sin. 
before I acknowledge my sin before God, now that I've acknowledged it, I've experienced forgiveness, now I'm dealing with all these consequences and trying to walk with God in it, and it's really, really difficult. And sometimes people become bitter and angry because their life is far too difficult and God should be helping them more. I just want to tell you that the consequences of your sin are intended to be redeemed by God into an opportunity that will cause you to have a chance to trust Him even more. The consequences of your sin in the hands of the devil are meant to destroy you. The consequences of your sin in the hands of a gracious God create an opportunity for you to know Him more. Don't stop the process. Embrace the consequences and trust Him to make a redemption out of it to bring you back to the restoration of walking in closeness with Him. Don't stop the process. Listen, some of you this morning, you're stopping short in the process because your sin has made you feel like Your repetitive sin has made you feel like past repentance was not authentic. And you're just defeated. Some of you may even think this morning, I may not even be a Christian because of my, my repetitive sin. And it just seems like every time I try to repent, I end up in sin again. I just want to remind you, that you're not depending upon your righteousness for your salvation. You're depending on Jesus Christ's righteousness. And what you need to do instead of thinking you may not be saved, stay in the struggle. Stay in the process. Don't give up. No matter how hard it gets, just stay in there and depend upon what God has promised you. Listen, exhortation number two, be thankful. Be thankful. First one, stay in the process, stick with it. Don't stop short. Second one, be thankful. Be thankful for the process. Do you realize that your struggle is not a struggle towards defeat, but towards victory? You are not struggling with your sin as if there is not an overcomer. God has said to you, you watch, I'm going to deliver you. Yes, it's a struggle. It's going to be a struggle until I come back. But I'm coming back and I will completely and finally deliver you. So stay in the process so you can walk with me right in the middle of the struggle. That's how you wait for me. That's the only way I'm going to come back for you is if you're waiting for me. And the way you wait for me is you stay in the process. Stay in the struggle knowing that there's going to be one final battle. And I'm going to wipe out your sin forever. And I'm going to win. You're going to watch me. You're going to be free. Be thankful. It is not hopeless. So be hopeful. Number three, be hopeful. You know, in this life, you get to taste glimpses of what's coming when Jesus rules and reigns over all. But those tastes, as good as they are, it is great to feel forgiveness. It is great to sense restoration through repentance. It's amazing. But those are tastes. Those are glimpses of what's coming. What we're living for is what's coming when Christ returns. Be hopeful. Be hopeful and cry out. Romans chapter 7, verse 24 and 25. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 23 and 25, remember this. We ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, for in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. And cling to the promise in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God and made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them and they shall be His people and God Himself will be among them and He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And He said, Write for these words are faithful and true and then he said to me it is done I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost he who overcomes he who stays in the struggle will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my child Revelation 22.20 And he who testifies of these things, Jesus, he says, Yes, I am coming quickly. And we say, Come, Lord Jesus, come. 